see, see a couple of hands. Uh, these are, um, this is actually will be a supplement. Um, we won't be going over these tonight. Um, just, just, just for you to take home, study, meditate on. But it is a, a support for one of my points for the message tonight. And uh, hopefully it will be a challenge to you and encourage to you uh, tonight. And I want to uh, challenge, um, thank Brother Josh for that message this morning. Amen. I mean, that's a challenge to us all. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes, and I think it's Senior that said this, is that the most sober reality today is that people in dire are going to hell. Uh, Bob Jones Sr. Uh, quoted that or stated that comment. And a lot of everybody, uh, every time we take a breath, like that, people are dying, going to hell. Um, so tonight, um, it's kind of come full circle with this message. Um, Pastor, I was just actually talking to Chrissy about this uh, today. Uh, Pastor asked me to preach on this message, or not on this message, but asked me to preach tonight on January 6th. Jonathan was born on January 6th. And this passage that we're going to talk about, uh, the challenge that I'm going to challenge you, myself, and to be honest, I hope and pray that this will be your prayer. Um, and I want to talk about the characteristics of a godly Christian. Now Jonathan is part of our family. And my prayer for him, when I pray over him, as he grows up, first is to make sure he knows his Lord and Savior and trust in him, that he died for him. My second prayer for him is to have godly character. And prayer for myself, my wife, fathers, mothers, children, aunts, uncles, grandparents. I hope this is your prayer tonight as well, that we have godly character. I think that's probably the most needed thing in our Christian life today. And I think that Job is a perfect illustration of a man who has godly character. You know, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. First thing that I can think of with that answer is Job. Job, I believe, fills the answer is that question. One thing we know about Job, he is a man who had integrity. It is defined, now integrity is defined as having the quality of being honest and having strong principles and moral uprightness. That's what integrity is. I want you to notice that few verses, um, how it gives a testimony of Job. James 5.11 says, Behold, we count the, them happy with which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful in turn of mercies. That's in James 5.11. Ezekiel referred to Job too, pointing out his righteousness. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Ezekiel 14, 14. And it's interesting to note the word Job means. Do you have an idea what, Job, what the word Job means? Anyone want to answer? No? Okay. Uh, well, just think about this. What do we know Job for? Trials. Persecuted. Afflicted. Hated. Or treated as an enemy. 
Now, there are some suggestions that this Joe may not have been his name at birth. He, his name could have been changed due to the ordeal that he went through. I mean, we don't know that, but it is possible because it's not unusual. We know a couple examples in the Bible where their names were changed. You could think of uh, Jacob was name changed to Israel, Saul's name was changed to Paul, and Simon to Peter. It was changed to fit their responsibilities, or in Job's case, what he had survived. We know Satan treated Job as an enemy. You, yes, you can read that through the scriptures uh, in Job chapter 1, which if you can meet me there, Job 1.1. 1, 1. And did what he could to afflict Job. His mission has not changed, church. Satan's goal is still the same as it was back in Job's day, and that is to inflict harm to God's people. He wants to hurt them or to try to destroy them. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary is a devil as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he what? May devour. Now, you think about it, you know, it's like with Jonathan right now at his stage, he's drinking milk, formula, and he's gulping it down when he's hungry. He's devouring that bottle. And just think of what Satan is when he does, when he attacks us, it's the same idea. He gulps you. That's his goal. His goal is to try to devour you. He he's desires to have you. Now, we can see why we find the first few verses of Job, why Satan may have hated Job, and why God has exalted Job into a position where we can examine his trials and responses. And you can think of Job as a champion. He's a testimony, testimony for us. There's a reason why God puts this story in God's Word. It is to study about him. It's so we can examine his trials and his responses. It's to understand who, who he is as a per person, his character. There is a, that is the reason. He's a rare man. And he's a hard man to find. And my desire for my life, life of my, for Jonathan, is to be a man of godly character. To be a man of God. He was a man of integrity. Now, <clears throat> Notice that his character traits as we study the scripture. So if you can, turn to Job chapter 1 and verse 1. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright. And one that, notice this thing, or we started here. He was perfect, upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. That's who Job was. He was perfect, upright, and one that feared God evil. We're going to be studying that tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you just be with Pastor, as he and Brother Johnny are in Belize, and Pastor Lewis there as well. Lord, as the minister down there, pray that be with Pastor as he preaches this hour, knowing him with your power and your spirit. And Lord, I ask you just be with me as I preach your word. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary that you preach what you want to preach tonight, Lord, and that's not of me, but of you. Lord, I pray, Lord, as you search my heart and you search everyone's heart tonight, that you convict us of any area of sin, an area that we need to work on to be draw closer to you, to be close to you, that we have godly character. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice a few other things 
And I want you to think about this. This is actually a testament from God himself. God has given Job's testimony for us to see. Why is that? Well, because you think of it, God knows who we are. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I refuse him, for the Lord seeth not a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearances, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising, thou understand my thought afar off, Psalms 139.2. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search thy heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his way and according to the fruit of his doing. So church, one thing we know, that God knows who we are. God knows our testimony. He knows how we are with our character and our integrity. So I wanted to focus on these four verse of words in Job chapter 1. First, I want you to notice the reality of his condition, and that's the word perfect. Now, does this mean that Job was sinless? Absolutely not. In fact, if you go on further in Job chapter 38, we see God himself rebuke Job in Job 38. So what does the Lord, what the Lord means here? He means is that this word perfect means to be complete. It means one that lacks nothing in physical strength or having more integrity or morality or purity. It is to be blameless without blemish. It was a passion of Job's heart to please God with his life. I want to ask you this question. Is it your heart's desire to please God? Is your heart desire to live a, a, what you see is a perfect life. By being right with God, Job was right with himself. In other words, Job had a clear conscience and was not going through his life with guilt, remorse, or regret. He was right with God. And he was right with men. You know, that was also, we see that in the New Testament, the passion of Paul. Notice what Acts 24, 16 says, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience, which means distinguish between morally good or bad, void of offense toward God and toward men. So, a few other questions for you tonight. Is everything right between you and God? Is everything right between you and man? Is your heart clean and pure before the Lord tonight? As we reminded, that Lord can see it. He knows what's going on in our life. He knows our inner being. He knows our hearts. May we have desire, as Paul did, as Job did, to have a, this added, a heart desire to be perfect, to be complete, pure and blameless before God and men. Now, when people look at us, they may have a cause to point their fingers at us and say, you wrong me, you're fake, you're a hypocrite, you do not keep your word. Paul said this, the same challenge in the book of Philippians. Philippians 2.15 says this, that you may be blameless, Free from fault, which that what that means, and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Christian, we are to have a testimony in this world. We have a spotlight on us. It is bright. And we have to have a testimony. The aim here, the leader is to aim for gold that will be nothing in this light that will hinder Christ's reputation and work in this dark 
world. As Christians, a Christian life is life that's not spotted with reproach from one sin or law-breaking. 1 Peter 4.15 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Now, many Christians have ruined their testimony with open sin, law-breaking, not paying debts, cheating, stealing, and drunkenness. Our desire, church, is, as Christians, is not to cause harm or injury to another person. It means that we must not suffer wrong against oneself if necessary, rather than harm one's testament or injure the work of God. We represent Jesus Christ. We are, as Brother Josh said this morning, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are a representative of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God has this honest earth to preach and teach God's word, to be a witness and a testimony to the lost and dying word. That's why we have the spotlight on us. We have to have the example of setting for others. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Submit yourself in every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king as supreme or unto governors or as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of them that do well. Now, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. All right, I'm not going to ask you this. Raise your hand. But I want you to ask yourself, have you been speeding? Okay. When I was at Ambassador Baptist College, Dr. Comfort who uh, was the president at this, time, at this time, for some reason, he had, the, he had the nod to when one of the students got a speeding ticket. And he will call you out from the pulpit, from the top, when you speed it. He says, you know what? This is your bad example to the community because you're speeding and you got caught. Why? Because we are to obey the laws, the ordinances. We are out to set the testament, example for the community and the people around us. That's why he pointed that out. Is that he was teaching us that we are ambassadors. We are to set an example for others. We are to walk. We are, why are we to live this way? Well, it's obviously because we live in a crooked and perverse world. We are the example. We're the lighthouse to this world, church. We are to bright, our light should be bright and shining to this dark, wicked world. It's full of sin. And that's what Matthew 5, 16 says. Let your light so shine before men that you may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. To shine our light requires us to be blameless and harmless and requires holding forth the word of life. Number two, I want you to notice his relationship with others. He was upright. He said that he was perfect and upright. Now what does that mean? The word is derived, and it means, to, from Hebrew, it means to be straight, level, correct, straightforward, righteous. It is emphasized his relationship to other people. Church, he was straight. There was no bent. He was not crooked. He treated people right. His honesty and straightforwardness brought blessings into his life because people trusted him. His actions pleased God, and they are pleased other people who had to do business with him. They trusted him. He had a testimony to other people. It's like, now, who, Bill, you're a painter, right? All right. Um, Brother Clark, I know you do woodworking. But when you do um, work on a, like, few days or a few weeks ago, I was doing a shelving for Jonathan's room. 
and we had to line up those four shelves for all his books. And we were lining them up to make it straight and not to be crooked and out of alignment. I did my best, I don't know, to the eye to look okay, but you know, they could be off. But that's the idea is when you're a builder and you want your wood to be straight, not crooked or out of alignment, straight. That is the idea for us as Christians is that we are not to be crooked, but straight. That we walk the straight path. And kids, teenagers, you will be tempted to get away from the path and go off the, the way. You're, you know, think about this with Lot. He pitched his tent to Sodom and Gomorrah. He stepped his foot off and looked that way. I want to challenge you, teenagers, as you get older, going to around who your friends are, your relationships in college, where you go, be careful who your friends are. They will tempt you to go the step off, and they will tell you to go this way, and they will promise you everything in the world. But let me tell you this, it will lead to misery. That's why God tells us that we are to live straight. And it is not easy for us to live straight. We are tempted, we're Blast on everything you think of. You know, when I travel to New York City for business, it's like the offices that you know, I work out of is in, New York, in Times Square. Who's ever been to Times Square? A few of you. And what do you see all over the place? Signs, lights, brightness. And that's what the world does. It's flashing at you. So look how good this. This is party. We're going to party. They want to sell you all the goods. The goods are not good. You know, there's sin, there's pleasure in sin for a season, the Bible tells us. We are to live straight. You know, like I said, you know, a builder will look for that straight wood. He will use anything. And this uh, church, kids, get in God's word. That word have I hid in my heart, what does it say? That I might not sin against thee. Memorize it. You know, think, be thankful that pastor has memorization for Bible verses. Study God's word. Get to know it. This is your guidebook for life. The world will try to get you away from it, but don't fall for it. it will, again, like I said, it will point to, lead to misery. Now, the psalmist said this, and God, let me, I'm sorry, God is no any different. He wants a person in a great way that is upright, straight, and true than, than in a person who is crooked, inconsistent, and unreliable. Let me ask you this, as you meditate on this, on this thought, are you straight or crooked? The psalmist pointed out the importance of upright man and blessings that result from behaving this way. Notice since Psalm 37, 37 says, Mark the perfect man, behold the upright man, for the end of that man is peace. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on these, Psalms 25, 21. Doing what's right is part of Job's character. He would not give up or quit despite the trauma he was experiencing. We could learn much from him, especially those folks that quit serving God. Number three, his reverence for God. It says we talked about perfect, upright, and one that feared God. Now, what does this mean? This does mean that he was terrified of God. 
On the contrary, Job was very close to the Lord. He had great love for God. And the idea in this word here, feared, is that he had great reverence, respect, to be in awe of something. It's like, right now, I am in awe with Jonathan. You know? I have love for him and respect for him. It's the awe. And that's what we need to be as, as Christians. We ought to have an awe for God, who, who he is. Think about it, church, that he came on this earth to die for our sins. He came here to sacrifice his life. <clears throat> and you can think about it in the, uh, Exodus chapter 1, uh, if we're familiar with that story, it's the same reverence that, God, that the Hebrews had, uh, the midwives had for God. And Exodus 1.17 says, But the midwives feared God and did that not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the man and children alive. And what was the Pharaoh want to do? He wanted to kill the Israelites, the Hebrews. But the midwives feared God enough that they disobeyed Pharaoh. And next day, if you don't read on the verses later on in Exodus chapter 1, it says that Pharaoh was upset with them. He says, why did you do this? And, you know, the midwives gave an excuse, but you know what happened? God blessed those midwives because they had fear and awe of him. When we have fear and awe with, of God and obey him, respect who he is, and follow him, God will bless us. And that's what happened with the midwives. When they obeyed them, the people multiplied and waxed mightily. That was the result of their obedience. That's what God had. Much of our frivolity that exists among unsaved people as well as carnal Christians today is they have this lack of reverence and respect for God. There's no fear of God because of arrogant attitudes Pompous pride and stubborn wills and selfishness. Many Christians believe, profess that they fear God, but their attitudes actually tell, otherwise, tell us otherwise by their actions. They portray a different message. When you live like Job, you have a fear of reverence of God. The reverence for God will take precedence over any fear of man. Think about this. Here's a story, illustration of this. It's a uh, true story. American evangelist Peter Cartwright was preaching from the same text in 1818, which is uh, a gentleman had a, uh, something in his uh, coffin that says, what a, what a prophet man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. That was his text. And it, it was a beautiful October evening, and the church was packed. Just as Cartwright uh, bellowed the words, what will a prophet man if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? and walked in General Andrew Jackson, who was staying nearby. Jackson, who didn't come to Christ until late in life, was a fiery-tempered, hard-drinking, horse-racing, dual-fighting hero. And instantly, uh, a buzz swept over the congregation. Heads turned, the post-pastor Reverend Mack suddenly pulled Cartwright's coat and whispered, General Jackson has, has come in. Cartwright ro roared back, Who's General Jackson? Who's General Jackson? He then declared that if General didn't get his soul converted, this is the evangelist saying this, God will damn him to hell as quickly as a pagan savage. Reverend Mack, who was horrified and 
The next morning, Rose and crack of dawn to apologize to the general. But later in the day, Cartwright and Jackson met each other on the street. Reaching out his hand, General Jackson said, Cartwright, you're a man after my own heart. I am surprised that Mr. Matt think I would be offended at you. No, sir, I told him. I have approved of your independence. A minister of Jesus Christ should love everybody and fear no mortal man. I told Mr. Matt that if I had a few thousand such independent, fearless officers as you are, and of all drilled army, I could take old England. The idea of this is the principle is this is that fear of God will embolden you to share the gospel and lose your fear of man. I have one last point is this, and this is actually my longest point, but I'll try my best to go fast. The devotion for evil. You say we see that we talked about perfect, upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. <clears throat> he had one of the reasons why that he had so much character is that he hated evil. He shoot it. It means he had the idea to depart, to avoid, to remove, to put away, to abolish, or reject. I'll repeat that for you. To depart, to avoid, to remove, to put away, to abolish, or reject. Job himself did not want anything to do which was wrong or sinful. That was his attitude. He avoided wickedness like a plague. Now, could it be that perhaps that's why we're reading about Job today? A person who has a love of God and reverence for him will have the same attitude. We should avoid all evil, evil places, being around, avoid running around with wicked people, and not evil speaking with our mouths. And kids, this is where I think... Um, this is where the most challenging for your kids and teenagers today is your friends that you hang around with. If your friends are wicked, I want you to get this, teenagers. If your friends are wicked, as Brother Josh talked about this, I can't remember the exact saying, but I know it had poison something. I can't remember. I'm sorry, brother. Um, <laughs> but it caught me. I saw how it kind of fits in what I want to say tonight. Um, Here's the tough part. Distance yourself. Distance yourself. Find new friends. You know, Brother Josh talked about this. Iron sharpen iron. You're in a good church, teenagers, kids. You're in a strong church. You will have iron sharpeneth iron here. You'll be challenged. And I know that Pastor Boots has a love for you and concern for you. And it's very rare that he concerns because teenagers that I grew up with, some of you, probably you as well, could be testament to this, have gone away and astray because they weren't taught God's truth, the doctrines, why we believe what we believe, why we practice why we practice it. But I know Pastor Boots, in my conversation with him, that's what he's teaching you. Because he's afraid that's going to, he does not want that to happen to you. This is a good church, teenagers. You will be tempted to run around with certain friends. Even adults, same thing. Your friends are heading the wrong way or doing something bad. Break, break away. Make new friends. You know, we have fellowship here a lot. Come and to have fellowship with here. 
You don't have to be hateful to them. You, you can share the gospel with them, but you don't have to be in close fellowship with them. You don't, and to be honest, if you, are, uh, if you live for Christ, you are not going to have much in common with them. You can start talking to the Lord, and they will probably leave you. But here's what I want to focus on as I finish this. Oh, sooner or later, this is what happens. One of you will compromise when you hang around with people. Many times, and unfortunately it's this, because I've seen it, many times it's the Christians who compromise. They were, uh, they were strong, but they were compromised with worldly living because it appeals to the flesh. And that's what the idea I was thinking about earlier is with, with um, when I travel to New York City with all the flashing lights. I mean, it's like it's bright. And that's what the world promised you, bright, bright. Come, come, it's fun, fun, join, join in. <clears throat> but it is it will hurtful, it will hurt you, and it, it appeals to the flesh or has been numbed by it or has been influenced by friends or associations. Think about this, is that I am amazed, church, is this, that as, as we see more TV on there, I have more, more wickedness is being displayed on the TV screen homosexuality, and I will talk about that in a minute, um, how some, like, as it supports and closing this last thought, that how those who are Christians who now say homosexuality is okay, or will be accepted to it, and drinking itself has become more common in our churches today, drinking alcohol. They will say there's nothing wrong with it, and that's why, as they hang around these people, watch these shows, that's why, you know, as Pastor Boots has, can't remember the time, uh, I know there's a few times that he preached about what we watch on TV, is to be careful what is we put before us. <clears throat> and you can understand why that well, you have that attitude. The Lord, and this is where we're going to focus on, the Lord warns us to avoid wicked and wickedness. Now, I want you to notice a few verses. You have pen and paper. Um, I want you to, if you could, write these down. Um, we're not going to turn to them. But Proverbs 1.10 says this, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. There may be times you find yourself in a situation where, begin to, where you're being enticed by wicked people to indulge in sinful behavior. They, the world will entice you. Your friends will entice you. They don't get better joy than entice you to have a Christian to fall. <clears throat> if they do entice you, don't give in to them. That's the idea of depart, avoid them. <clears throat> Overcoming temptation requires decisiveness and refusing it. It requires a mind that's made up now. So my challenge to you, kids and teenagers, is this. Make tonight your decision night. Make it tonight to be decisive. Think about this. Joseph ran from the clutches of Potiphar's wife because his mind was made up to not to give in to her seduction. Joseph built a fence, a fence, a wall, a protection. And that's what you, we ought to do as Christians and teenagers and kids is to put up that wall, that fence up to protect yourself. A long way back from the slippery edge of cliff, he refused to be with this woman at all. 
Tonight is that decision night. Are you going to put up that wall? Think about this. Daniel purpose in his heart he would not defile himself. His mind was made up. And we need to have that same mindset is to have our mind made up tonight that we're not going to go that far. We're going to stay that. We're going to put the wall of protection, that fence. You know, that's what, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes. Pastor talks about personal separation, ecclesiastical separation. There are walls of protection to protect you from harm. Third, to obey this command would lead to shame or sorrow. We talked about that earlier. And again, there is a pleasure of sin for a season. Proverbs 1.15, My son, walk not down the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. <clears throat> Repeatedly, Solomon commands us to stay away from those who are evil. Solomon knew the power and influence that wicked people have over their lives, over others. He warns us not even to enter the path of those who are wicked. And Josh, again, talked about this. It's your friends, you know, teenagers, listen up. If your, friend, your parents say, kids, listen up. If your parents say, that's not a good friend, they're not a good friend. They know things that you may not know, and it's hard. I remember I was, my parents told me that. And we, don't, we didn't understand why they say that. But parents see things that us, when I was a kid, I didn't see is that they know that those friends can harm us and hurt us to make bad choices and we can harm ourselves. Refrain your foot from their path. Don't walk in their way. Stay away from them. Mark them. And don't go in the direction that they go because they don't go into their destination to poverty. We are avoid those kind of places and people. Proverbs 9, 6 says this, Forsake the foolish and live and go over the way of understanding. Whether it's foolish ways... And foolish people, they are to be forsaken. Stay away from them. Proverbs 13, 20. So it says, He that walk with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. That's in Proverbs 13, 20. A little story here. Uh, there's a story of a grocery store clerk named Jerry, uh, Jim Davis. You know, he loved this job, and he was proud of his work. But one of his pet peeves as a clerk was that of an um, uncontrolled toddler and parents who yell at their kids but do nothing to correct them, their children's obnoxious behavior. Now, he was checking, one night he was checking out this one customer and who was shopping cart full of groceries while ringing up the cell. A child behind him began to scream very loudly. Loudly, and an angry man responds by shouting, get down. Now, Jim said, thought in his head, says, what a fool. Without looking up, he kept on calling the out prices and moving the groceries past the checkout, checkout scanner. The kid behind him was still crying again. He heard the man yell, get down. Talk about poor parenting, Jim thought. This guy is a total fool, thought Jim. He kept on checking out the groceries without looking up. Finally finishing the grocery chart, the customer's grocery cart, Jim looked up and said, that would be $89.95, ma'am. Seeing no one around him and noticed that everyone, including the cust his customer, was lying face down on the floor, he turned around just in time to see a gunman leave the store. The checker behind him said, still lying on the floor, called me, said, Jim, you know the second time you heard get down, his gun was pointed right at your head. The man, the man, this man was unaware, the principal of this story, was un, of this story so the man was unaware of the danger he was facing. And we find ourselves in that same spot. 
It could be said of some folks that, who keep company with friends that can ruin them. You may be unaware of it. Same as this guy, Jim, this, the store clerk, Jim, he was unaware of his situation. situation. Pay attention to the type of people that you rub shoulders with day by day. Solomon warns us not only is this food destroyed, but the people who hang around the food are destroyed. Now, the idea of this is the word destroy is come to crowd and distress or destroyed. If you hang around those people, you will be just full of distress and destruction. You can you study your Bible, we see that. Uh, you can think of Samson, the friends of Korah, the prodigal son. All right, Psalms 1 1 talks about this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of Galilee, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sitteth at the seat of scornful. Now, I'm not going to touch on this a lot because Pastor preached on this a few months ago. Um, so I would encourage you to go back to the message. It was, very, it was a strong, good, strong message. And this is one of the verses and chapters I was definitely studying, memorizing in um, this chapter. Psalms 26, 4 and 5 says this. I have not said with vain persons, neither will I go with the dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers. I have not sit with the wicked. Now here, this is what we're going to talk about in finishing up. David is talking about biblical separation. Church, it is an essential element to born-again believers. And we can know Romans 12, 2 says that. It says we are not to be conformed to this world. Now, he did not isolate himself from, people, from these unbelievers. What we do see is that he did not participate in their sin. As God's people, we should not participate in other people's sin, whether they are born-again believers or non-born-again believers. In church, that is the hardest thing to do is to separate from people who are, you know, who are in sinful situations. You have to make those hard choices in your life. A few, about 15 months ago, I had to make that choice. I could not be around, break off fellowship with people I've known for 30 years and not participate in something. It is a hard choice. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. I mean, again, I aim to stress the importance of biblical separation. Now, again, many churches fail to preach this principle and teach and practice because their pa pastors are afraid to touch on this subject. One of the reasons why they're fearful of men and I'm thankful, church, that our pastor is not afraid to talk about separation. I'm thankful that he preaches on it because it is essential to Christian faith. We talked about this, that separation is an essential element for us, and it's there for protection. It is our protection. It's a wall. It's a command to, so from, it's, it is a command to separate from any association, company, or communion with any form of evil that upspose the right and biblical way of Christian living and thinking. And here's where I'm going to touch on and close. I'm almost done with this. This is a long part of my message. And it's a warning. And why pastor and I strongly believe in personal and ecclesiastical separation. You can think of Billy Graham, who was corrupted by this. He started by believing the Bible completely and literally. He attended Bob Jones University, but as a young evangelist, he renounced separation and began associating with other liberal theologians, Roman Catholics, and others. 
From there, he started to deny essential side doctrine. Tragically, we're seeing the young generation of pastors today of independent Baptist churches, same beliefs that we have, are falling into the same pattern. And I will touch that there in a second. Here's the principle, the verse I want you to focus on tonight. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. This is Ephesians 5.11. Paul again teaches on separation. This is, church, this is contrary. This is contrary to the new evangelical movement that's spread around independent Baptist churches today. They have the lighten up, judge not philosophy. I want to tell you this. That is contrary to what God's word has to say about it. What does God teach us to do? We are not to have fellowship with them. That is, we are not to partake, participate, to partner with, or to share together. And here's what I want to leave, because I know the influence of this one gentleman. You ever heard of Alistair Begg? Okay. He recently did this. Now, he's a pastor of Cleveland's Parkside Church. He's a Truth of Life radio ministry. And, and you probably heard of this. I know Pastor taught it last year when he did the, uh, the um, workers' class, the Gettys. <clears throat> he's their pastor. Now, he recently, I don't know if you may have heard this, he recently responded to a question from a grandmother. And I'm going to read this. Um, as to whether they should attend her grandson's wedding to a transgender person. Bag said that so long as the grandson knows that she can't countenance the choices they have made in life, she should go to the ceremony and buy them a gift. Now, of course, we know what the scripture has to say about that. We know that the Bible does not enfranchise transgender identity. We are either man or woman for the design that God had for us in Genesis 2. The Bible clearly distinguishes the sexes, Deuteronomy 22.5 and 1 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> Marriage is defined in Eden and reaffirmed by Jesus between one man and one woman, and God is honored by such unions. It is, when you attend a wedding, it is commonly known, it is readily viewed as affirming the union question as giving a couple a wedding gift, as big encouraged the grandmother in question to do. Christians should therefore not attend transgender ceremonies, which is the truth, do not feature an actual wedding at all, for God recognizes no such union as holy or permissible in his sight. But here's what I get at. This should not surprise us to anyone. Because when you understand the dangers of this idea that it's, it's entering into independent Baptist churches, I know, I know a few of them, <clears throat> invent, they, come, they become more evangelical, they're more receptive to contemporary Christian music, they believe in ecumenism philosophies, and see, these are being promoted by Beg and the Gettys, and you get this kind of answer. Now, Beg, uh, if you know him, he's the, also a uh, part of the Gospel Coalition. I don't know if you're familiar with that group, who was headed by Tim Keller, who recently died last year. Tim Keller has a lot of heresies there when he teaches. They are big into ecumenical and having relationships with Rome. 
they had, I'm not going to name the articles, but there's quite a few articles that talk about ecumenism. They use, uh, can evangelicals and Catholics truly be together? Jesus, they use the verse, the Jesus prayer for unity and the body obligates me to see the ecumenical task as a part for Christianity. And that is false. Jesus' prayer had nothing to do with ecumenicalism. Christ emphasized obedience to God's word and importance of truth. And you find that in John chapter 17, 6, verse 6, 8, 14, 17, 19, which are in, incompatible with ecumenism. Now, here's the thing, church, and this is what scares me the most, and I will get this to you. Because I know the influence of this group here. They, are, they believe in new Reformed theology. If you're not familiar with it, that's Calvinism. And that we, honestly, we could spend a full um, service on that. But I, I thought I had it available. Oh, here it is. I know Brian gets this. I don't know who else gets this, but David Klaus, his letter. Did you read it? No? Okay. I'm not going to read the article, but it's talking about someone who uh, wrote to him. He says, warning from a reader about spreading new Reformed Calvinism and his independent Baptist churches that is spreading it here. He said the groups that they mentioned, and, he, and this guy was shocked. He says Acts 29 Network, Nine Marks Network, the Gospel Coalition, the Biblical Counseling Movement, they are promoting new Reformed theology. And it's spreading, tragically. But I also want to talk about why you think this all came about with Begg and what he said. Well, one is they want to build, this, uh, build a gap, bridge the gap between everybody. And the one of the biggest promoters of this idea is the Gettys. If we don't fence, put that fence, we'll collapse. If we don't build that fence around this, you will accept the teachings of heritage doctrines and false teachings of God's word. Now, the Gettys, you know, if you don't know about them, they use, their words are scriptural, and they are watered down. They seem very conservative, but they don't believe in separation. And I'll get on that in a minute. They actually, even that, they actually rock out in their home church. So they're kind of contradictive there. 1 John 2.15 talks about that. They use a mixture of traditional hymns mixed with out-and-out rock and roll, blues, jazz, rap, Irish gigs, and anything in between. But here's why I say it all comes together in full circle. And this is why the importance of separation. The Gettys' goal is to bring everyone together musically. They want to bridge the gap between the traditional and the contemporary. That is their goal. If you go on their website, it states that. They will associate with anybody from Pentecostals to Charismatics, Roman Catholics, Protestants, Baptists, and everything else between. And this leads to this apostasy. Now, they, also the other things they are known for, they, they feature rapper Shane Lane at their Scene 22 conference, and he's scheduled to return actually this year again. They have uh, relationships with uh, Stuart Towson, who's charismatic and ecumenical and Pentecostal, and he is a member of the Pentecostal Church of Christ, which is very heretical. There are... Again, they are ecumenical and non-separated, which is co contrary to God's word. I want you to notice who they associate with. 
They host the like of John Piper, Johnny Erickson Tata, other contemporary Christian musicians and rockers such as Chris Tomlin, who associates with Joyce Meyer, Ali Holcomb, and Trip Lee. They are close friends with Matt Redman, who is ecumenically yoked with anyone, including Roman Catholics. And just think recently, what did you hear from the Pope? What do you say about gay marriage? This new reformed Calvinism that's spreading around churches is very sympathetic to Rome. I want you to get this. That's why, church, the Bible teaches us personal and ecclesiastical separations. True believers should have nothing to do with Rome, who is a mystery Babylon, the great whore and mother of all harlots, Revelation 17, 18, who comes with a perverted and corrupted gospel and damnable heresies, for they separate themselves from such evildoers, idolaters, and infidels. And that's what the Bible tells us to do. Furthermore, if you don't know about them, and this is why I'm warning you is this, the influence that they're having run independent Baptist churches now. They praise the likes of Sting, Bono, Alton John, and the Beatles. He uses the, quotes them as well. He quotes people like uh, Roman Catholic mystic J.R.R. Tolkien, Augustine, C.S. Lewis, and Sting. The Bible says in Psalms 119, 126, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Do you esteem God's precepts? Do you hate every false way? We're committed to in Psalms 119, 128. And tragically, church, this is what hurts me the most. I won't name these colleges. You may be aware of them. I know you're familiar with them. But they have introduced this Gettys and Stuart Townsend into their college. And one college in particular has sung Hillsong song music. And when they sung it, tragically, the student body knows, knew who they were. If you're not familiar with their Hillsong, Hillsong, they're heretical. When churches lower their music stands, their preaching gets watered down. That is the truth. I want you to leave this thought as I was taught at college when I went to Bible school, preaching is king and music is queen. They support each other. When the music claps, the preaching will collapse. And I'm afraid we're seeing that today among independent Baptists. I know, I don't mean to point them out, but Brother Clark mentioned something to me a couple weeks ago. There are very few churches around that are good anymore in this area. And it's a tragic. Lastly, we are disdain. I'm sorry, I'm long tonight. First Thessalonians 5.22 says, Disdain from all appearances of evil. Christians are told to separate from evil. It is not an option. It is a command. There are many verses we can refer to. We talked about them in Romans and 1 John. It is to keep oneself away from, to stain or frame from, it's avoided to stay away from it, to refuse to engage in it, to refuse to party with it. It's, that's why the Bible tells us is that it's another thing is to many reasons why men and women must be very careful about how they relate to their opposite sex. What, what does that show when you're two married you know, people who are not married talking to each other or out together? We are to abstain from parents of evil. In closing, I want you to think about this. 
We see a great testament we see in Job. Think about the Lord knew about Job and his testament. And if you look at Job chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? Notice the next phrase. What does it say there? Job 1.8, that there is none like him in the earth. A perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. What a testimony to have. There's none like him. Can our Lord say about that, you and me tonight? Can our Lord say that we're perfect, not sinless, but perfect? It means to be complete. With honesty, integrity, and purity. Can our Lord say that we're upright, that we be straight as an arrow, that we are not the beaten path, have gone away, that we're light, our, our life is correct, straightforward, and righteous? Can we say, can our Lord say that we are fear God? It means to have a great reverence and respect, to be in awe or something. Can our Lord testify that we eschew with evil? It means to part, to avoid, to remove, to put away, to abolish or reject. Can the Lord say that about each one of us tonight? Our Lord knows our hearts. May, our, may we search our hearts tonight so that we can be men and women with godly character. If there is one area that we are feeling, may our Lord convict us and we can be right with him. With every head bowed and every eyes closed. Let's turn over to Brian and service. But again, the Lord knows our hearts. Can the Lord testify of, this, of that? Father, we thank you for the message tonight, Lord. We ask you just work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, if there's one area that we're short of, that we're sin, I ask you to search our hearts that we can have the godly character. We love you in Jesus' name.